Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. You ever been in a conversation with somebody and they say something like, well, your Bible, it's been changed over hundreds of years and you can't believe that thing, or, or uh, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? Uh, all these difficult questions. Well, we brought in an expert to answer those. I want you to meet Jim Bilby. Hi, Jim. Tom. Nice Jim to uh, is a professor at Bethel University. He likes to talk about what we call apologetics, which doesn't mean we're apologizing for our faith. It means to defend the Christian faith. So we're going to get into some of these hard questions. How do I answer these hard questions? And thanks for being here, Jim. Tom, great to be here. Before we jump in, I always like to ask our guest, how did you come to know Christ? Yeah, so my story's a little more complicated than some others. Uh, I grew up in a great Christian home. I, you know, re uh, we read the Bible and prayed as uh, when I was a little kid. And I remember dedicating my life to Christ when I was about five years old. Okay. Vague recollection of that. But uh, high school was a difficult time. And even though I had kind of a rededicating time where I rededicated my life to Christ, uh, into high school and into college, uh, I was certainly on the more rebellious side. And some of that was because I had all sorts of questions and I'd ask people those questions and they would say, you shouldn't be asking those questions. Like I sort of felt like it wasn't okay to be asking, to, to really wanting to understand. And so I ended up setting my head to kind of one side and my faith to the other. And that led to a kind of a period. It was, wasn't really following God. It was, it was pretty rough. And that culminated with, uh, I lost my faith, problem you of evil. Um, my football coach died of cancer, and uh, that just, I, I couldn't reconcile that. Is and this high school or college? This is end, it's toward the end of college. College. And uh, I was law school bound. Um, and, and you went to a Christian college. I went to, I went to a great Christian college. <laughs> and, but uh, just the, the weight of having these questions and not feeling like it was okay to really push into them was too much. And so I ended up uh, going to seminary to figure out what I thought about God. I was, I was headed to law school and there were some reasons why that didn't work. And I, so I threw myself into studying theology and studying philosophy and studying apologetics. Um, and I first decided that this, was, this stuff was so much fun that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Even and though you didn't believe it yet. I didn't believe it yet. Ah! And then about four <laughs> weeks-ish later, I decided I could be a Christian doing this. Was there a day or an event? What got you saved um, again? There was not any one simple event. Okay. The key things were uh, all these sort of arguments and evidences for the faith. There's so much there than I ever, I even knew. So okay. there's really thoughtful, powerful right. thinkers out there that are making amazing arguments for the faith that I started going, oh my goodness, I, I want to get into this. So, I want to study it more. Am I right? Your story then is... You came to know Christ earlier on, yep. you left him for a while, and then you came back. Is that right? That, that's the case. Now, I would add only one thing to that. I came to know Christ. The idea of God became really complicated for me. And then I came back to a picture of God that probably fit with my picture of Jesus all along. 
Okay. So I'm not sure I ever, Jesus remained an intoxicating figure for me okay. all throughout my period of doubt. Okay. But what I had were these big picture questions about okay. God and okay. his nature and how that relates to evil <laughs> and all of these things that made it difficult for me to understand well, and to commit. We're glad you came back, Jim, because well, now he's using his life to get people to Christ. Let's ask this question before we get into the hard questions. Yeah. Um, there's an old saying, you can win the argument, but lose the soul. Yeah. In other words, we can get into these arguments with people, but maybe you'll win it as a Christian, but you don't want to lose this person's soul. Yeah. So when, you, when we get into these hard questions, what is, the, uh, what is the manner in which we share all this information? Yeah. And how do you bring it up to begin with? I, yeah. I, one of our camera people said, I've yeah. got Jewish friends, how do I even bring this up? Yeah. What would you say? So the first thing is uh, to realize that you can say something that's absolutely true and powerful and scriptural and turn somebody off and be in a worse position than you were before, mm. right? So I have this, when I approach the sharing the faith, I have like the apologetic equivalent of the Hippocratic Oath. Doctors take the Hippocratic Oath do and no they harm. say, do no harm. Yeah. So if my hand hurts, you don't cut off the arm to make the hand better, right? Mm -hmm. So apologetically, I want to take a, an approach that is as loving and as open-minded and as uh, passionate about understanding their story okay. before I throw my information at them as listen. I possibly can. So and listen. so it may be the case that there was actually a group of people that I got to know. Um, I did uh, some, some uh, sports reporting uh, for the Minnesota Timberwolves back in the day. And there was a group of people that I got to know that I didn't talk about my faith with them for a year and a half because my sense was, and it was an accurate sense, is that they were so resistant to the idea of a preacher coming in and banging the table and this is the truth. And that if I would have come in and just started throwing yeah. truths at them right okay. away, they'd have shut down and okay. I'd have had no further opportunity. So I want to engage as a friend. I want to engage humbly. I want to get to know their story. I want to seek to understand their questions. And then along the way, when they see that I actually care about them as a person, then they're actually oftentimes interested in, well, what do you think about this? And I'm like, okay. Did it ever happen with this group? Yes, it, it did. did. <laughs> actually, after about a year and a half, one, one particular individual who was uh, really pretty aggressively anti-Christianity, or at least anti-Christian, like the typical Christian know-it-all type, um, he, uh, we were talking about a theological issue, and I was sort of, again, hanging back, like it had been my want to do, and he was like, well, hey, you teach this stuff. What do you think on that? I'm like, okay, <laughs> twist my arm. All right. <laughs> and then I, through that, I was able to just share, like, really fundamental gospel Good. ideas. And Good. so, yeah, and sometimes, but some people, it'll take a while. Okay. But I am willing to take that time yes. in order to engage with them in a way that have, they have a, has a chance of them yep. hearing. And, and you know, Paul says to young Timothy, correct your opponents with gentleness, if yeah. perhaps God might grant them the repentance, you know, to be led away from Satan's lies. And, you know, I get a lot of emails. Sometimes people are brutal with me, the way they disagree yeah. with me. These are Christian people. And yeah. I'm thinking, could we have a little correcting your opponents with gentleness? So I think we need yeah. to be very... I mean, I can remember just 
one, I was trying to share the gospel with this person from the Unification Moon Church, and this other Christian is just using the Bible like a machine gun. And I'm yeah. just praying, Lord, get this guy out of here. Finally, he left, and I just said to the guy, tell me your story. Yeah. And he had been broken by the Moon Church, the Unification Church. Yeah. And after he told his story, I shared with them about the cross and salvation, how you can be yeah. saved. So humbly, gently, um, yeah. but one more thing, and then we'll get into the hard questions. All right, how do you bring it up to begin with? Yeah. How do you, how do you when you have a conversation with someone, how, what do you, is there any interesting yeah. way to start this? So there's ways that to start apologetic conversations that are really kind of mechanistic, like a tract is the most mechanistic way. You okay. hand them a tract, and then you hope to have a conversation with okay. them. I'm not a fan of those. Okay. I like to allow these conversations to emerge organically. Okay. So here's, here's the deal. If I have a conversation with anybody about real life stuff, it'll take about three minutes for an issue to come up that is easily connectable to some really important part of the faith. Okay. Right? Now, if we just talk about the weather, maybe, it, uh -huh. but anything more substantive and real about your life or my life, if we're talking about real stuff, there's an easy segue from that into something okay. that is directly so connected to the gospel. Door. Door. So I look for a door and, okay. and I'll just have normal conversations about real life things and I'll try to be vulnerable about, about okay. who I am okay. and even about mistakes and difficulties and questions. Okay. And then that will hopefully draw them into so a willingness for, to do the same. Pray for a door and it's more natural that way. Exactly. All right, now let's get the hard, to the hard questions. This right. is why we have this guy on TV. All right, number one. How do you know that the Bible wasn't changed after hundreds of years and being handed down so that the book we now have isn't made up by a bunch of men who miscopied it down for hundreds of years? What yeah. would you say to that? You know, Tom, so it's sort of fascinating. A lot of times, you know, the Bible is at one level very, very simple and another level very complex. Here's how simple it can be. Genesis 1 and 2, God created, it was good. Genesis 3, God messed it up. I mean, or humans messed it up. But I'm and, and four, Genesis four to the end, God is fixing what we messed okay. up. Okay. Yeah. Right? But as soon as you start engaging the detailed exegesis of the books of the Bible, now you have as much studying as you could ever want to do your entire life, uh -huh. right? Yeah. So there is, when we engage these questions, there's a, in a very simple way of answering this, but there's also as much detail as you'd ever want to get into. Here's the simple way. And I, 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 when I engage, Somebody raised the question about the Bible. I go to the question of the Gospels. Like, say, listen, we could talk about Leviticus all you want, but really, allow this kind of stands or not on the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So let's look at the Gospels of okay. Jesus Christ. Uh -huh. So the people that want to say this stuff has been just made up, I ask them, really, so these disciples, these people who followed Jesus, they made this material that's in the Gospels up. There's a couple of really good reasons why I think that's not the case. First, the disciples, the people writing this, look like fools in yeah. the Gospels. You, if you're going to make it up, you're going to make yourself look good. Exactly. <laughs> so I can imagine Peter saying, hey, you know, guys, uh, if we're going to make all this up, let's leave that, you know, time where Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> let's leave that behind. Yeah. Right? You know, that time where, you know, he's praying. Just... Just stay up and pray with me. Uh -huh. And we kept falling asleep. Yeah. Let's leave that behind. Yeah, yeah. The time where I denied him three times, yeah. let's leave that behind. But here's the deal. Those weren't left it's, behind. It's, yeah. They're in the text. And so the fact that the disciples included these things mm -hmm. in the text suggests that they didn't feel like they could just 
leave aside whatever they wanted, okay. that there was a commitment to the truth. Yeah. And so the fact that there's, you know, these difficult truths for, yeah. you know, things where the disciples look silly, yeah. there's things that are like theologically difficult. You know, a person comes and says, you know, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Well, that's sort of a weird if text. If you believe Jesus is God. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, right. Yeah. So that's sort of a weird text. But, but now they left it in. And there's, of course, an explanation for why Jesus said that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? But there's, the, you know, theological difficulties and, and questions that are raised that happened. And so the gospel right, writers that, did not feel like he could just change what they wanted. That's a good defense. The fact that the disciples look so bad is evidence to me they didn't dream it up. Because exactly. you're going to dream up good stories about yourself. If you're going to make it up, you're going to do better than that. <laughs> All right, but then let's take it the next step. All right, let's say the disciples did write it, but after hundreds of years it got changed and it's not what the original uh, apostles wrote. So what would you yeah. say to that? So the textual history of the Bible, and again, let's, let's focus on the, on, on the, the Gospels, the, the New Testament. The textual history, we have texts that are very, very old, mm -hmm. and we have quite a few of them. So if, let's say there's some ancient historical document, you want to see, is that reliable, right? You want to see, you know, how many texts do we have, and how soon are those texts? So if the text, you know, was from like 500 AD, and your first text is 1932, you don't feel very good about that text. Right. But if you're, these texts are being written you know, in the 50s, the first century, and you have texts from the early second century and many of them, mm -hmm. and so you can cross-check, right? That makes you feel pretty good and, about the textual evidence. And people don't know if Revelation was the last book of the Bible written. That's still about, what, 95 AD? 90, 95, so probably. It's, even the last book of the New Testament written is still within like 60 years of Jesus' death. The exactly. earliest ones are within, what, 20 or 30 years, aren't they? Yeah, probably as soon as like the James, 50s, James right? And, yeah. yeah, so 20 so, years. So it's not like hundreds of years have passed. Like we're talking about within 20, yeah. 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Yeah. And there'll be some people that will say, well, okay, yeah, you've got, I mean, we literally have thousands, 11, 12, 13,000 different Early texts, yeah. and not all early, okay. but we have texts that we can then compare and we can see how well the scribes did. And some of those texts are very early, second century, late second century, certainly early third century that are entire copies of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And so we can use a pretty complicated study, it's called text criticism, yep. to find out and go, okay, well this text says this, and this text says the exact same thing, yeah. this text says the exact same thing, and this text just changes that one word, and okay. they do this There's a text whole science. To, yeah. Exactly, the science to, to get at what the early text might and have been. Isn't there like a fragment of the Gospel of John that comes from like 90-something A.D.? Is yeah, 90 is probably a little early. So okay. it's, it's sometimes it's called P52 okay. uh, is from this. It's a fragment of the, of the book of John. And it uh, it's probably 120 is that maybe. The early, is that the That's earliest? earliest one. Okay, yep. So 120, right. maybe 130, 140. Okay. Now the truth is most people are not real interested in this when you're talking to them. Yeah. Some of them are. Yep. But most people are, well, if God is a loving God, how come my five-year-old daughter died? And I'm not going to yeah. believe in God anymore, et cetera. Yep. So now let's get to those kinds of questions. Sure. All right. Oh, by the way, 
is there a good, for people that are interested in this side of things, the evidence for the Christian faith, yeah. is there a good book you can recommend? Yeah, so Craig Blomberg's book on the historical reliability of the Gospels okay. and the historical reliability of the New Testament, okay. um, it's as good as anything else out there. All right, it's good. What's that again? Craig Blomberg, and he has a couple of different books, Historical Reliability of the, the uh, Gospel of John, Historical Reliability of the Gospels. Okay. They're, and, they're spectacular books. And you know, as you and I know, uh, Martin Luther said, um, 500 years ago, I believe in the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? I cannot by my own reason or strength come to my Lord Jesus Christ and believe in him, but the Holy Spirit has brought me to faith. And you know, as you know, we're talking to the wall unless the Holy Spirit yeah. decides to act. And you can, you can be perfect in presenting all the evidence yeah. and still lose the soul unless the Holy Spirit moves. Exactly, and that's such an important point, Mark. Uh, the, say you're reading the Gospel of Mark. You are um, uh, wanting to know about this Jesus character. Mm -hmm. But if you have all these presuppositions that assume, well, of course, a God can't exist, or if God exists, he has to prove himself to me, or all sorts of things can get in the way of that. And unless the Holy Spirit works to undercut those, yeah. unless we align ourselves where we're truly open to hearing from God, mm -hmm. a person's not going, to, uh, not going to see the truth that's okay. there. Interesting. All right, now we're going to get to the hard questions. How do you know the apostles didn't make up the resurrection of Christ and then sit around a table one day and say, okay, he's dead, we're sorry about that, but let's say he rose and let's go preach that into the empire. Yeah. How do you know that didn't happen? Yeah, so um, it's a related question. Mm -hmm. You know, if the disciples felt like they could just make up whatever they want, then, you know, uh, then they might do that. But the fact that they felt compelled to write the truth, stuff, even yeah. if it was difficult truths. Okay. And actually one of the examples there is that the resurrection of Jesus was a very complicated notion for first century Jewish people. It's a complicated notion because we have to draw a distinction between a resurrection and a resuscitation. Okay. Our problem is we get confused about this because when we talk about Lazarus, Lazarus is saying he was resurrected. He wasn't. He was resuscitated. Yeah, yeah. A resuscitation occurs when a person is dead and they come back to life and then they die again. Yeah, yeah. A resurrection occurs when a person is dead, they come back to life and they never die. Right. So Jesus' resurrection was an idea that completely scrambled first century Jewish people. Yeah. There was all sorts of debates about the resurrection. There are some people who said a resurrection isn't even going to occur. Sadducees. The Sadducees. Yep. Yep. The Pharisees believed it could occur, but they believed that if a resurrection ever occurred, it would be end times, Satan was defeated, the, the place of the dead, Hades, would be emptied. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that Jesus would be resurrected was a theological notion that scrambled okay. the early Christians. So it's not like what people were looking for. So they had took a little while for them to come up with an idea that Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits. Okay. And because Jesus was resurrected, so too someday we would. All right, what do you do with this? I, I kind of, from the best we know of early church history, most of the apostles were martyred. Okay. Uh, all but one of all the original. All but John. Yeah. And, and I, I, I like this. You die for something you think is true, yeah. but maybe isn't. Yeah. But you don't die for something you know yeah. you made up. So yeah. they're going to put a knife to your throat and say, Jim, you made up the resurrection, didn't you? And if you had made it up, you'd have said, yeah. okay, yeah. Exactly. But if you hadn't made it up and you say, you got to kill me, I know yeah. he rose from the dead. 
That's a pretty strong argument yeah. for the resurrection of Christ. And I think those two things put together kind of pr provide the strongest okay. argument, right? First, if they were going to make it up, they wouldn't have made this up. Mm -hmm. And second, if they made it up and if they were threatened, their life was threatened, they would have recanted. Good. And the fact that n both of those are the case, I think, is a, a strong argument right. for the truthfulness. Another one. Isn't it narrow-minded and arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way? Good Muslims, good Jews, good Buddhists. I mean, why are you so insistent that you have to believe in Christ to be saved? And isn't that narrow? Well, uh, <laughs> part of me wants to say, yeah, it's narrow-minded in the way that, like, I'm narrow-minded about there's a table that's in front of me, and, and people that say there is no table, I'm going to say I think you're wrong about that. So the notion of truth, if you're going to have any notion of truth, there has to be something that contradicts that that ends up being false. <coughs> and so when we, if we have an, a notion of truth that we uh, say, no, we believe that's true, and therefore anything that contradicts it is incorrect. So it's, if that's narrow, then I'm willing to be narrow in that sense. Now, I want to articulate the truth in ways that is loving, mm -hmm. in ways that are humble, in ways that invite the, and acknowledge that I don't know everything and that I can learn. Mm -hmm. But I'm actually perfectly willing with this to articulate an idea and, and, and make a claim that says, you know what, this is true, and I'm going to stick with this. Okay. Now, I'm going to literally be the devil's advocate. Please. Now, Jim, I'm glad that works for you, that you believe in Jesus, the resurrection, but it doesn't work for me. It's not my truth. So why not just let your truth be your truth and my truth be my truth? Well, uh, if truth was, that's how it would work, where you could just have your truth and my truth, then it would also be the case that Adolf Hitler had his truth that the best way to have a, you know, government was to take over the world and to kill all the Jews. And if, you're, if a person's willing to say that, then they have to acknowledge that that's their truth, mm -hmm. right? We're not willing to do that, mm -hmm. right? So the question is, if there is such a thing as truth, then what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the reality that truth is what it is? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not a big fan. Some people say, so you believe in absolute truth. I don't know what absolute truth adds to just the idea of truth. Okay. If something is true, it's that true. means that it connects or represents or articulates what is real. All right. Right? And I may wish that I'm not sitting at a table, or I may wish that I'm a millionaire, but neither one are reality, and so therefore it's not true. And, and, this, and just to be clear, Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody gets to the Father but by me. Jesus said that. And so it's the historic teaching of Jesus and the church, and it's sad that so many are, are fudging on that. Yeah. What about this, talking about Adolf Hitler? Yeah. Here's a, a new one. Well. If your loving God commits, allows Adolf Hitler to kill six million Jews, I mean, if, if God exists and if he's loving, how could he allow that? Yeah. Now here we should just pause and say, this is a really difficult one. And it's true in my life. This was what, you know, caused me to like question, uh, you know, and fall away from the faith for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So when people have this question, oftentimes it's because there is something so powerful and so hurtful in their life that um, they just can't wrap their head around the idea of God's existence. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody raises this, the first thing I want to do is I want to acknowledge their difficulty and their pain and their suffering because just giving them an answer isn't going to make that hurt better. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, I do believe there is an answer to the question of the problem of evil that, that you raise there. But so often what's driving this is pain and suffering and hurt. Okay. And there's no simple thing I can say to make that better. Mm -hmm. But once a person engages that pain and suffering and maybe comes to a degree of healing, mm -hmm. there's still the question of how do we think about God, the relationship between God and evil? And here's a fairly straightforward answer to that. Um, I believe that God is a relational God, that God is Trinity. Because God is Trinity, he's intrinsically relational, and that when he created, he created to be in relationship with his creation. But he had a choice. He could have had no evil in this world and had uh, human beings that had no capacity to choose against him in any way, but then it would have been just like him loving himself, mm -hmm. right? He'd have just created beings that could only choose to love him. There, there would be no real choice there. And robots. Yeah. So I believe that God chose, he could have created a bunch of robots to love him, mm -hmm. but he chose to create beings that had the capacity to say yes to him, but also had the capacity to say no. Mm -hmm. When he gave human beings that possibility, that gave us the possibility to say no to God and to say yes to evil. Yeah. And okay. so why does evil exist in this world? I think that's part of the reason why. Okay. And you know, the other thing, Jim, it, it concerns me when people say, well, the reason I don't talk about Christ is, what if they ask me a hard question? And I, I don't know, I've never been to Bible school. Yeah. And, and, and my response is, then you just say, I don't know. Yes. And if somebody says, you know, how could a loving God allow all this stuff to happen? It's okay to say, well, I'm not exactly sure. And to, now, That's because, a great answer. And Paul said, Paul, the apostle, now I know in part, then heaven, I, know I shall understand fully. And here's why that's a great answer. So not only is that a great answer just on its face, to be honest, when mm -hmm. you don't know something, mm -hmm. there's a stereotype of Christians as being know-it-all jerks. I know. And when you say, that's I don't me. know, <laughs> when okay. you say, I don't know, you're deconstructing that negative yeah, stereotype. Yeah, yeah. You're saying, you know what? I'm not sure about that. Can I, right. can I read more about that I, and I maybe mean, get back to you? And, and, and so don't let the fact that you don't know everything keep your mouth shut. We're, not, we're to be sharing Christ with everyone. Don't let your insecurity that I haven't been to Bible school, so what? You yeah. know, just Paul the Apostle said now in known part. Yeah. So it's okay to share Christ, and when, if they ask you a stumper, just say, I don't know, I'll have to think about that. Yeah. Now, Jim, uh, we've only got about a minute. You've got a book that you've written. Tell yeah. us about that. Well, there's a lot of apologetics books out, out there that give all of the arguments, and mm -hmm. we talked about some of these arguments. But I think it's so important that we try to understand what apologetics is and how we should do it. Okay. Right, because so often we give the right answers, but we do it in a way that's insensitive okay. or dismissive. And so I wrote a book called Thinking About Christian Apologetics. Um, it's published university and you can get it on Amazon uh, that tries to look at that question. What is apologetics and what are some of the most effective ways of doing okay. apologetics? By Jim Bilby, B-E-I-L-B-Y? B-E-I-L-B-Y. And, uh, okay, and you can get done on Amazon. You bet you can. Well, thank you, Jim. God thank bless you. Thank you so much, Tom. Keep preaching the gospel, and everybody, don't let the fact that you don't know everything keep your mouth shut. Pray and go out and share the gospel with this week with others. And we want to ask you, too, if, pray for this ministry, if you would. We're on the air because the Lord 
provides through your prayers and through your, your giving. If you want to support us, you'll see an, an address in a minute, or people go to our TV show, pastorstudy.org, and they also support us that way. If somebody you know needs to see this show, you can go to our website, and all of the shows, including this one, are on our website, and they can just go there and watch our shows for free. So we'll see you next time, and God bless you. Take care. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.